Thank you for joining us for the Culture Conversations podcast, where we help good people create great workplace cultures. We truly believe that together we thrive. I'm your host and culture coach, Melanie Boer. Right. Hi, everybody. Um, thank you for joining us this morning for our Conscious Culture Roundtable. We're going to have some good discussions. Excited to have uh, Elizabeth Galper in here with us today. Thank you for joining us. I'm going to do a quick introduction uh, and talk a little bit about what we're doing here. Um, I apologize for any issues we've had with the link or Eventbrite. So hopefully people got this inv- information and we will be recording so that we don't miss any of it. Uh, For those of you that wanted to donate to the Free Store Food Bank, I have a link that I'll share in the chat. Um, We do give a donation to them, and you can also donate directly to uh, through Venmo. So it's just the at Thrive with NB, and we'll make a donation for you. So far, we've donated over 600 meals to those in need, which is pretty awesome, right? So we keep building that number up. we today we are talking about how culture and productivity meet together and i'm excited to have this conversation with our expert um, a little bit of information so i'm going to let you guys do an introduction first and then we'll talk more about um, elizabeth and her expertise but who do we have today let's uh if you could just tell us your name your company and maybe why you joined us today or what you're hoping to get out of today that would be great uh pat we'll start with you Yes, uh, I'm Pat Rebroff. I'm with ProSource uh, Technologies. Um, we're managed services and cybersecurity company uh, here in Cincinnati. Uh, I'm here to, one, learn more about how to help my team members and the culture we have in place, uh, increase my way to benefit my, you know, helping my team get better. Um, and just learn from Elizabeth. I know she has a lot of nuggets I've picked on along, along the way uh, since I've known her, so always here to support her. Wonderful, thank you. All right, Brett, how about you? Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Brett Renzenbrink. I'm a shareholder at BHNK and the, uh, and the firm's CMO. And um, in those roles, I'm continually assessing who we are and how the public perceives us. And um, one of my roles as CMO is to not just look at external marketing, but internal. And um, so I've been very blessed to already work with uh, peak, pro- uh, peak productivity. And, uh, and also um, I've worked with uh, ProSource and I've worked with MB and I've worked with, all, I know all you guys very well and, and uh, very excited to hear what you guys have to say because uh, culture to me is a continual evolution and it's something that we need to work on every single day. And uh, therefore I'm very excited to hear what you guys have to say. Happy to Thank be here. You. Thank you too. Thank you for joining us. All right, Alex, how about you? I'm Alex Bowden. I'm the CEO and founder of People First Talent and Retention Consulting. So soon to be merging with MB Consulting. Um, And for me, culture is at the forefront of pretty much every problem that I have to solve. Um, A lot of it, excuse me, in terms of acquiring top talent and retaining top talent boils down to culture. Um, And it's the most common overlooked. So to me, it's a passion area to really dive into that first and then figure out what strategies and what you know cool elements boil out of that that we can tackle. Wonderful, thank you. And hey, Paul, thank you for joining us. We're just saying our name, our company, and maybe why we were interested in joining today. Okay, hello everybody. Uh, Paul Weiner, I'm, uh, 
I have a, a firm in Cincinnati known as RCSN Leadership Services. Uh, that means that we're uh, a recruiting firm, we're a coaching firm, we're in the culture business, we're in the human resources consulting business, and we're also in the professional development business. And one of the people that I work with is Melanie. And she has helped me learn a great deal about culture, and I continue to learn from her every day. And so I didn't want to miss the opportunity to, to have uh, the, to listen to this group talk about culture as I continue to learn about it. So nice to meet all of you. I'm sorry I'm not dressed in my fanciest wear dress this morning, but the uh, the invitation said you could come show up as you as you were. Come as you are, Paul. We already said that this is fun and casual, and anyone that knows me knows that I'm not worried about. I'm glad you have clothes on, right? Like I'm not worried about, <laughs> <laughs> about that kind of stuff. Um, thank you for joining us. We're glad you're here. Sure. So Elizabeth and I, I'm going to give her a little bit of an introduction. You know, we've been um, working together, known each other for the past couple of years now, I think almost as long as I've been in BNI. So I feel like it's about five years, right, Elizabeth? Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and I have just thoroughly enjoyed getting to know her, watching her business grow. Um, just a great person, right? Anyone, and Pat, Brett, you guys know this just from getting to know her more and more over time. Um, her business is in... in helping people succeed and grow through systems of productivity. She's the founder and CEO of her company, Peak Productivity Coaching. She's doing some training, some speaking, and other fun things like that. And I am honored to have her here joining us today, where we want to talk a little bit about how culture and productivity intersect. Um, Elizabeth, will you do us the honor of just kind of telling us a little bit about yourself and your current work, some things you have going on? Sure. Um, Melanie forgot to mention that we were at Miami University for four years together and we never, well, we probably crossed paths, but we didn't know it. Um, and when we connected here in Cincinnati, it was just kind of a fun, fun commonality to discover. I think we said we looked familiar, right? Like, oh, I know you from something. You're right. Like, oh, that's probably what right. it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so proud Miami grad. Um, and uh, my first career, I was actually a speech language therapist. I worked in the school systems and I worked in private practice and uh, 14 years ago, decided to start my own business and be my own boss. Uh, as any entrepreneurial journey is, there have been lots of ups and downs and uh, detours, um, but I am um, about, well, I've been back in Cincinnati. I lived in North Carolina for about 12 years, but I've been back in Cincinnati for about seven years. Um, and um, the, the business um, continues to grow. So I work with two different types of, of clients. One is the individual professional, uh, whether uh, they own a business or kind of run their own book of business like Brett. Um, where the goal is to work on personal productivity or uh, peak performance. And so the work that I do there is coaching. Uh, it's working on, you know, having ha good habits, uh, developing your own systems and processes for how you're managing work, how you're prioritizing, um, how you're creating a good integration between work responsibilities and life responsibilities and fun. Uh, and so that's kind of the individual coaching that I do with clients. And then I do a lot of um, consulting and coaching with companies. So I love to speak and train, um, but my approach when I do trainings is not to just come in and speak for an hour or do a half day workshop and leave, but it's to stay <clears throat> engaged with the company so that there's pull through so that the concepts that we talk about, whether it's personal productivity or it's, you know, using 
better systems across uh, the, the organization, um, that I'm there to guide and support individuals and teams uh, so that 30, 60, 90 you know, days later, we're seeing true traction. Uh, individuals are feeling the personal impact and then the company as a whole is seeing the, uh, the impact of the work that we're doing together. Um, so right now I have some great engagements with some local uh, businesses where it's that combination of trainings with large groups and then coaching and consulting with smaller teams. Um, and then I also have um, clients kind of all across uh, the U.S. right now. I do a lot of virtual coaching. Uh, and so that's really fun to get to work with people West Coast, East Coast, and kind of everywhere in between. That's amazing. So you've really had some great growth. You're working nationally and are you just, you're able to do then things uh, digitally as well, right? You don't have mm -hmm. to always be traveling to places. You can do a, a ton from a digital perspective. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things that really caught my ear as we we're talking, and, and I know this from you because I learned habit stacking from Elizabeth, um, but is the power of habit, right? So, oh, okay. I have to go back and remind. So habit stacking that I learned from Elizabeth, great tip, right? is that when you have a habit, you could tie another one to it and it'll remind you to make it happen. So example, when I was writing my book, I actually had to um, tie writing to drinking my coffee in the morning, right? So I knew that if I wanted to get my coffee, I was going to have to spend a few time, you know, and I'd start with just 15 minutes and it grew, right? So I learned something. That was one of the things I know I had learned from Elizabeth. Yeah. When we talk about culture, we talk about the same kind of thing, right? Where we've got to create habits, and rituals that happen over time because we can't put that on any one person, right? It's gotta be something where everyone does it. Uh, you use the language, you know, embedding it, right? Engaging with people, seeing accountability. Those are very similar things. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. Tell me about when you're um, helping people create habits. Are there, any, are there any quick and easy tips to doing that? Cause I get that question a lot. Like, how do we make right. that? How do we really make that happen? Yeah, great question. And you're right. I mean, you know, habits are, it's a behavior change that we're working towards. And you can either be working on developing a new habit or getting rid, getting rid of a old habit that's no longer serving you, right? So you can, you can be working on the gaining or, or losing of a behavior. Um, so a lot of the, so I'm, I always love to give credit where it's due. So James Clear, who's the author of Atomic Habits, I have learned so much from him. Um, BJ Fogg is another author who wrote the book Tiny Habits, um, which is another great resource to understand the science behind habits. Uh, so a couple of the, I would say a couple of the, the strategies that I've seen be most successful for my clients and personally, um, it's starting small. So, you know, if the goal is, and I kind of always use the, um, the generic one of, you know, I want to, um, I want to be more active. I want to exercise more, um, instead of shooting for seven days a week, um, you start with something that is an easy win. So as long as I get exercise one day a week, I get to call that my win and then start to build from there. Uh, the experts sometimes even go far, go as, as far as to say, um, you can even start with um, putting on your sneakers and walking to the mailbox. And then if you decide to keep going for a walk, great. But if you decide to walk back, you get to count that as a win. 
And then tomorrow you go down, you know, three houses and, you know, so it's very much a personal thing, but start small and give yourself early wins so that you start to feel the momentum and you can feel some pride in just the fact that you've gotten started. Um, the other is making things very obvious to yourself, which usually includes like a visual cue. So if I have a client who is wanting to use a new, let's say task management tool, um, I'm going to make sure that they have some visual cues throughout the day that's going to remind them to get into that tool at least once a day. So whether that is a sticky note that I don't love sticky notes, but every once in a while to get <laughs> the ball rolling, that can be okay. Um, whether it's you set an alarm on your phone every morning at 9 a.m., the alarm goes off and you know that that's your cue to get into that task management tool. Um, whether it's you create a, a separate tab on your computer screen and you leave that visual cue up all day long. Um, so making things obvious and making things visual Humans tend to, we try to rely on our memory too much. And so we think, well, I'll just remember, I'll just remind myself. Um, and that's, that's a, a pretty, uh, that's a pitfall. So anytime you're trying to adopt a new behavior or eliminate an old behavior, make sure you have some good visual cues for yourself. Um, and again, it can be, can be as creative as you want, right? Um, the third one that I will, will share with you is what's called choice architecture. And so this is kind of similar to the cue, but it's, it's being strategic about what is in your environment that's going to encourage the behavior, or again, it's going to decrease the behavior. So if I am trying to eliminate sugar, I'm eating too much sugar throughout the day, I may want to make sure that in my kitchen on the counter, there is a bowl right in the middle of the island that's full of apples and bananas and oranges. So every time I go into the kitchen and I'm hungry, my choice, I've, I've designed the space that the very first choice I see is healthy food. It's not a plate of cookies. Um, so choice architecture is how can you design your environment so that when it's time to make a choice, you are being prompted to make the desired choice versus the undesirable. That is so those awesome. are kind of my top three. Yeah. That is awesome. And I hear so many correlations, Alex, I don't know about you, but as I'm thinking culture, right. When she said, um, choice architecture, what in your environment encourages your behavior. And I kind of thought that's both positive and negative, like having the right people on your team impacts mm -hmm. your culture, which is exactly why we would say, right, get rid of the toxic people. It's the same, mm -hmm. it's get rid of the sugar, right? Put the fruit bowl <laughs> right. out there in front. It's the same, there's a lot of correlation to that. Um, yeah. yeah. The idea also of making things obvious, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. This is one of those where, I love that. And the, the power of these habits. So example, I have some companies that will put on their mouse pad, their keys mm -hmm. to success, right? Or yes. we know companies put their words on their conference room walls, right? right? They're making things visible. They're saying, hey, this is what we want to be a habit. We want to have this great culture. We want to do these things. What sometimes then I think though you find is that people don't define them the same way, right? They have a misunderstanding about, hey, how do, 
do we see success and performance just like culture? Do we all deliver it in the same way? And there is some human element there, right? Of we do things differently. But to drive it in a strong culture, I think you've got to get people on the same page, right? So if we're going to say, hey, but we see business success as doing these types of things, driving these types of habits, yeah. that's probably an important element, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And, and another way to kind of tie this in. Um, so when we are setting goals for ourselves or, or developing um, a desired habit, we have to be very specific in our language with ourselves, but sometimes with our team, right? So let me take a, an example here of um, a, I'm working with a, an attorney who has an assistant and one of her goals is to start doing more delegation with that assistant. Uh, she knows that um, her assistant has great skills and has capacity, so, but delegate, if she says to the assistant, hey, I wanna start delegating more to you. What does that actually mean, right? There needs to be a conversation about, okay, if we're talking about more delegation, here's what I mean as the you know, attorney, here's, what, here's how I interpret it as the assistant and let's make sure we're on the same page about what that means, how we're defining it. And then, okay, how does, what's that gonna look like? on a daily, weekly, what's the, what are the specific actions that we're taking to make sure that both of us feel delegation is happening, it's happening successfully. Um, and so same thing, you can say, you know, one of our, you know, keys for our culture here is um, amazing client response time. Okay, well, what does that mean? To me, that might mean, oh, I have to reply within every hour. And a teammate, my teammate may think, oh, well, that's like as long as I get back to a client within 48 hours. That's a huge discrepancy. So, and this is where, you know, Melanie, we've had this conversation time and time again about communication because you're right. Everybody has their own interpretation. Everybody has their own default. Um, and until we all make sure we're speaking the same language and we're all working towards the same objective, uh, there, can, there can be a lot of... Um, blurriness there. Absolutely. And so by the way, if you guys see me typing, it's because I'm taking notes for all those people that want us to hear all this great stuff later. So um, Elizabeth, absolutely. That is amazing. The other part I heard as you were saying this, you know, is getting people to define, right, the interpretation, how we define it. I've had clients say before, well, integrity matters, right? And they want to, they want to coach someone on their integrity, which that's a loaded word, right? For, to yeah. go in and if I'm going to hone in <laughs> on your integrity, are we talking about the same thing? Right. And the one time I had a, a client and they said, you know, we're, um, I'm mad at Bob, Bob, it was a team talking, Bob's terrible, Bob's never on time, he's disrespectful. And I said, um, they kept honing in on, he's just never showing up on time. It's very disrespectful. And they, they questioned his integrity. And I said, isn't it possible Bob just has a time management problem? Like, I don't know that we should attack Bob's integrity because of this. And yet that's what, how they were perceiving it. Mm -hmm. So when we were able to really kind of dig in and say, okay, let's talk about what is an integrity issue and what is a time management issue. They were like, oh, you're right. You're right. Never mind. We're more sensitive to time management needs, which was a huge distinguishing factor. Yes. Yeah. And you, you can uh, improve time management in a much more direct way than improving someone's integrity, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a much easier, more coachable, right? Uh -huh. uh, less of an attacking sense that people will have. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's go down the, the communication path. 
every time I do a, an engagement survey at an organization, communication is one of the top gaps that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. How is, let's talk a little bit about that. How is communication and how we communicate impacting our productivity and our cultures? Tell me, tell me your thoughts on this. Well, I've got a lot to say about this. Loaded. It's a loaded <laughs> question. Yeah. So uh, we live in a society right now where there are so many ways to communicate with people, even though they might be sitting in the cubicle or the office right next to us, mm -hmm. um, that there, there are too many channels. And what I see happening within organizations is there isn't an agreed upon channel or there isn't an agreed upon uh, process for, you know, this type of information needs to be emailed because it needs to be documented. This type of information actually needs to be a sit down across the table from each other because it's loaded with emotion. Um, you know, instead of using Slack and Teams and email and voicemail and text, we need to make sure that we're all communicating internally through one channel. So the you know the the very first step is to uh, all often same thing like when I do a you know a, a survey from the from the start. It's, you know, what are your main channels of communication? And typically the answer is, well, I don't really know. You know, my coworker loves Teams. So I tend to, you know, chat with her there, but my boss ignores any sort of communication through Teams. So I have to always email him. And so there isn't a cohesive plan. Um, and that's where, again, culture. So how does that impact culture? Well, if I feel like my boss is ignoring me, but in reality, she only checks teams once a day, but she checks her inbox seven times a day, then I'm just communicating in the wrong way and I'm feeling ignored. Uh, she has no idea that I'm messaging her. So the, the, the solution, it, I mean, really, it's simple, right? We decide as a team, how are we communicating with each other? In what capacity? Do, how many, what's the smallest number of channels we need? And have we all agreed how we're gonna use them? Um, same thing with clients. So I talk about this a lot with, with, with my clients. How are you setting up the lines of communication with your customers, with your clients? And that should be, you're setting uh, precedence when you start with a client. And you can either be very accommodating and say, do you prefer that I call you or email you? Or you can say, my main channel of communication is email. That's the fastest way you're going to get a response from me. And here's, you know, my address. But again, if you don't talk about it, if you don't say, here's the standard, are we agreed on it? Then you end up pinging your attention, you know, between four or five, six different channels throughout the day. And that clearly is going to impact your productivity. If you're constantly chasing information and trying to remember you know, did Melanie send that to me on a text? Did she put it in an email? And then I have to go find it and then I have to respond to it. I'm, you know, I'm easily wasting time and energy. So given all of our, you know, everyone's different preferences and right, multi-generational and mm -hmm. uh, which mm -hmm. of course adds into that or now it's different. It doesn't even have to be generational but different abilities to use different types of technology. Um, mm -hmm we now have zoom as an option right so right. some people got very comfortable with it others still haven't is do you see success in that do you can you get them on one path can you get some team agreement i guess there has to be some give and take right 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, oftentimes it does have to be the team leader who says, you know, let me pull, <laughs> let me pull the team and then I'm going to make the ultimate decision based on feedback or, you know, like I referenced earlier and I saw Alex like shake her head, you know, in agreement, sometimes there is a, a more legal um, or compliance reason, right? You, you, if you call and tell me this, I don't have documentation and that's going to be a problem down the line. So sometimes it might be that I prefer to get on the phone and chat with Alex, but Alex says, Elizabeth, this has to be in documentation. So you can call me, but then you're going to need to email me the exact same thing. So let's do email to save us time to get things documented, to have a paper trail. Um, and so, you know, sometimes it is not just preference. Sometimes it is actually more of a, um, you know, a more critical reason that you're choosing one, one channel over the other. Um, so yeah, and, and again, it's, you know, there are different circumstances that require, I just talked to, I was just talking to a, um, actually a, another attorney the other day, he runs his own practice and he's in estate planning. And he said, majority of his clients don't have Zoom, hate Zoom, aren't willing to use Zoom. And so throughout the entire pandemic, he worked, had to be in his office um, because of the clientele and what they were willing and not willing to do. So if that's if that's 80% of his clientele, he's going to have to meet them where they are, right? If it was 20%, he might have had a different approach. All right. That's great information. So communication is one area. What are some other, besides communication, what are some other things that come up as pain points or things that where you find yourself being able to, um, the things you listen for when you're like, yeah, I think that's something that I could help out with, mm -hmm. right? What yeah, are you, what are you yeah. listening for? Um, one thing that, again, I'm going to, I'm going to use the culture slant here is the idea of interruptions and distractions from, you know, team. <laughs> uh, so we actually, I just had this conversation with, I was doing a training at a company and they are currently in like some temporary space. So they're getting a new space ready. They had to move out of the old space. So they're, they're in a less than ideal environment right now. And so they're having to figure out how to work with it, right? You've got some loud talkers, you have people that want quiet, you have people who want music, you know, got all the things. Um, and so we were talking about the, um, how do you minimize interruptions? And we actually, uh, very excited to see, because this is already in place about two weeks after we had this meeting. Um, so we talked about um, how do you politely let people know, I'm busy, don't bother me. <laughs> or, you know, yes, I'm sitting here working, but I'm open and available to answer your questions. Um, and so they came up with a visual, a, a little card that I think they're going to like hang on their um, cubicle walls. That's like, you know, green means come on in. I'm happy to answer your questions. Um, yellow is I'm in focus time. Uh, so only come talk to me if it's urgent. And then red is like, I'm working on critical information right now, or I'm in a, I'm in a, on a phone call that is, you know, with a VIP client, you're going to have to go ask somebody else for what you need. Uh, and so the idea there is everybody is using the same the same qualification, the same way of communicating it. 
Um, and there's more control over being, being interrupted, right? <laughs> now, we talked about you can't have your card on red all day long. You have to be available at some point in your day, right? It's a very collaborative you know, uh, organization. They need to throw ideas off of one another. So there are some best practices and some agreed upon rules. Um, but if somebody's on yellow or red, you're going to stop for a second and you're going to get creative and say, well, is there somebody else that can answer this? Or can I wait? Could I go ahead and send this in an email because I don't need the response right now? So we often, all of us, myself included, we often take the perspective of, I don't have any control over things that distract and interrupt me. Well, actually we do. <laughs> and so start looking at how can you, distractions are more internally driven. So that's, you know, the dog barks and I'm really curious and I wanna go see if, you know, my package arrived. That's me allowing myself to be distracted. Um, interruptions are, you know, either, my kids come in because they think they need something important um, or you know, I'm sitting next to my coworker and they say, hey, do you have a second? Um, so there's a difference, but we do have some control over both of them. Going back to, it has to do with setting boundaries, agreed upon uh, rules to, to play by, um, and then constant communication about, is this working? Am I available enough for you? Do we need to set up a meeting, you know, making sure that we're talking through what's working and what needs to be tweaked? I love that. And I'm already thinking through how I could use the color system. Um, mm -hmm. I was telling Elizabeth before we started our call today that I had, you know, and again, working from home, those kind of things, people are much more forgiving now in this day and age. Mm -hmm. But I agree, Elizabeth, I want to control my environment. And it's hard when it's, it's easier with kids than it is with dogs. I will say that yes. <laughs> the dogs aren't paying attention to my color signs. Right. No, you know, <laughs> I had, um, on a call yesterday, I had the dogs going crazy over you know, it was the package kids, come, whatever it was. And it's like, I'm on a very important call that I was talking. I couldn't mute myself, you know, anyways, um, in those kinds of examples. So let's just play that out. The kids, I could do better. I can be intentional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Elizabeth, maybe the answer is, right? Like if I know I have an important call, well, Melanie, I may need the co-working space, right? Or right. I may need something mm -hmm. where I can shut the door and not yeah. have yeah. crazy dogs in the background. I'm not, you know. Right. right, yeah, you may need to put the dogs in, you know, in the basement, in the backyard, or mm -hmm. I may need to go, you know, I think a lot of people say, well, I really, when I work from home, I really like being in the kitchen. It's open, like I feel, you know, relaxed great if, if you're getting work done, but when you're on a call, maybe you need to have a second space that is where you can close the door. It might not be your ideal. You may not want to sit there for eight hours, but if you're on a 30 minute call and you need to shut out the, the noise and the interruptions, maybe have a, a second spot. Um, so, you know, that's another option of creating your environment based upon the work you're doing and, and the level of availability or, or, I'm not available, you know, kind of depending on what's, what that, uh, dictates. Okay. So is that something that you think people are doing a lot of having multiple workspaces? So, you know, I might have my office for some things and then I go or, you know, what, what do you see happening with that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're, I think most people are starting to understand that, you know, I mean, last year in March and April, it was, oh, this is temporary. I'm just going to make it work. You know, my kitchen table is just going to have to work. My dining room table is just going to have to, you know, cut it. 
Uh, I think now people are understanding and, and a lot of companies are saying like, hey, you're going to be in the office two days a week, but you're home three. So there is a little bit more direction on what, you know, even if it's not long term, like next six months, next 12 months. Um, but I, I do think that people, what I find in my conversations is that people are still thinking of, oh, it's just, I'll just make it work. And so I've had a lot of conversations with people where I've said, you know, I think it's time to buy a, a chair that's comfortable. You know, it's going to be worth a hundred dollars. You know, the, the stool is just not cutting it anymore. <laughs> or, you know, I think it's important that you ask your manager, is there any sort of a budget that I can use to go towards a standing desk or, you know, and, and to, to start being designing your space more intentionally. Um, I still see majority of people making do with what they have. And I think it's part of it is because most professionals don't kind of step out and say, if I had a better space, if I was more comfortable, if I had a designated uh, room with a door, how would that make me more productive? And so that's really, I mean, that's one of, you know, one of the, the, the benefits of working with someone like me is we're an objective or a third perspective saying, hey, I bet this is impacting you more than you realize. You know, um, there are a couple things that you should probably think about investing in that would be well worth coming out of your own pocket for you to have a more enjoyable, productive workday, you know, day in and day out. I think there's a lot of room to improve to, to answer your question. That is wonderful. And to piggyback on that, my, my husband and I have two different spaces, like one way upstairs, one downstairs. Mm -hmm. And now that he's back at PNG three days a week, I'm not going to lie. It's kind of nice to just be able to rotate and change my yeah, scenery yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. have a preference. And then we would even, when we're both working home, would rotate like every week. Like this week I'm upstairs, this week I'm downstairs. It's just yeah. a nice way to keep it fresh. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I love that example, Alex. And I bet you that some people listening to this would be like, oh my gosh, I would hate to change every week. So you have to know, you know, some people are absolute creatures of habit, right? They want to hunker down and they want it to be exactly the way they want it for as long as they can maintain it. Others like yourself, like, hey, it'd be great if it could be different every couple of days. Um, so in that, again, it doesn't sound at the surface level, like, well, you just get your work done wherever you are, right? Push through, whether you have a window or don't have a window, whether you're cold or whether you're warm. But I... I mean, I could throw a ton of research at you that will, will show you that your physical environment largely impacts your focus, your motivation, 100%. Uh, your inspiration, your creativity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, when I first started my business, I didn't, I always loved working from home when I was working corporate. Mm -hmm. um, but when I first started my business, I went to full-time working from home and this was I probably had a nine month jump start on everyone with COVID. So by that point I would have, I had adjusted when everyone else was getting thrown into it, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the motivation just plummeted and I was always super <laughs> intrinsically motivated. So I didn't, was like, who is this person? I like wandering around my kitchen, like, you know, looking out the window. Like I just sitting at my kitchen table every day was not doing it for me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and Melanie, I think that's, I would love to just spend a couple minutes on this. The idea of, I'm sure you're 
answering this question all the time. How do we keep a strong culture when people are not physically together, right? Whether it's everybody's still 100% remote or there's in and out and it's really hard to know who's going to be in the office when. Um, and so from a, from a community perspective, uh, humans, we are pack people. If you go back hundreds and thousands of years, we've always survived and thrived in groups. Um, and so, and this is not anything, you know, you all haven't heard before, which is, you know, the, the longer you're in isolation, the, the harder it gets to, to work. Um, but that is something that, again, I think we oftentimes we let ourselves get too far um, away or like we, we allow ourselves to work in isolation for too long. Um, and then we hit the wall. Um, and so, it, you know, it absolutely impacts productivity. It impacts motivation, it impacts, you know, quality of life, which impacts how your team is showing up for you. And so creating multiple opportunities uh, so that someone who is very social can get around their coworkers multiple times a week. Someone who is less social has the opportunity, you know, at least once a week, um, but creating opportunity to commune. Um, so many people have said to me, I thought I was so happy working at home alone, but when I went back to the office and I was around my coworkers, I couldn't believe how much more energized I was. I didn't realize how much I missed being in the energy of others. Uh, so that is a really important component of productivity and absolutely of maintaining, maintaining culture. Um, but it's now more than ever, it's, it's options, right? Meeting people where they are. There are still some people who are very fearful um, of being around people too much. Um, there are some people who, you know, absolutely hate the idea of staying home for another three months, six months. So, you know, it's absolutely having lots of options and, and trying to give people different levels of community um, so that they are operating at their, at their highest performance level. What we've seen too, Elizabeth, that's all of what you said, you know, we're seeing that from a culture perspective and even the wording is that reintegration, right? Mm -hmm. So like, if we're going to bring everyone back together, what's that going to look like? Because the extroverts have figured out how to be more introverted. The introverts are even more possibly introverted than they were before. Right. Um, yeah. And so that whole bringing them back together. I love hearing you say, like, once you kind of get back into it, you recognize the benefits of being back with the team. Yeah. But we're even saying, you know, there are things that you have to do as an employer to, to get them reacclimated, right? So mm -hmm. even as an extreme extrovert, I had to re-push that button again. I had to say, okay, mm -hmm. I've been, uh, you know, doing my own thing for quite some time now. And I've got to remember how to reflex that muscle because I haven't been using it. Uh, so we've been encouraging employers, right. To kind of have those things, have those conversations, reinstitute your water cooler talk, right. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? And maybe, I mean, somewhat, um, if you can do it in person, again, we've got to be conscious and careful of what's going on and spikes and all that good stuff. But maybe that's even some of the digital things where we were really good at doing some of the digital connection right off the bat because we had to yes. be, I think then we fell in a lull of like, let's just have our Zoom meetings and keep moving. And some of those fun things that you heard initially, like um, team trivia and team, mm -hmm. you know, trying to think of things that people did to have fun. They were yeah. big at the beginning and then they kind of yeah. fell off. It was like, well, should I even put in the effort? Right. right. So 
figuring out what those are, talking with your teammates, I think that is very important. Um, and I, you know, we can't go backwards, right? There's no knee-jerk reaction in my mind of let's just go back to how we used to do it, right? Right. There are plenty of um, things that we've learned over the past, can you believe going on two years, right? Plenty of things that we've learned that we can keep implementing to, to drive that, not only our performance, um, but to drive that strong culture as well. When you mentioned um, the benefits of addressing some of these, right? Productivity, I hear so many similar things, but innovation is one of those that you hear a lot of. Um, wanting to think outside the box, right? Wanting to, when you come together with your team and you hear different perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. You can think differently. You can, you know, you have a little bit, sometimes I wonder if, um, and not to go down this rabbit hole too much, right? But that's probably part of the, the polarizing opposites that we're experiencing in America today, right? Yeah. Whether that's, you name it, politics, religion, whatever, is also because we're now isolated, right? We're not all all back in the workplace. We're starting to see some of that. Right. Um, but I think all of this plays into how we're performing, whether or not, you know, and how we're impacting the cultures in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to to hear from anyone else that wants to chime in. Um, if you've heard any topics here that, that are uh, of use or that you might have questions about from all of you, you know, what are you learning? What have you learned today about how we can better our workplaces around performance and culture? Any questions that you guys have? Melanie and Elizabeth, you've solved all. I mean, we've just, we've stunned them with our yeah. brilliance. Yeah. If, it's, if that's a reference to those of us participating, I'll at least comment that, that um, yeah, I mean, the interrelationship between performance and productivity and culture, I think in my world is as poignant and fever pitch as in any industry. And because we are our product, you know, if there's a defect in culture, ultimately, that's a, that's a poison pill and what we offer to our clients. And yeah. um, so it's, there's a lot that, to absorb there, much of which I think I already uh, sort of embrace as being a reality, some of which is new, like the idea of doing um, the, um, you know, red, yellow, green uh, in person, I think is interesting. You know, we talk about, we, we operate almost entirely through digital platforms in my firm. So creating boundaries where we can sort of like understand how we're going to work with each other typically are set up and enforced in a digital environment. But I do find, and this kind of integrates with the uh, remote versus on-prem discussion that when I'm here, there's wonderful advantages to being here, but there's also huge disadvantages and being accessible constantly to people in your environment is a huge distraction. And yeah. um and, and, but you want to also engage in those discussions because you don't want to hurt culture. So having shared communication and in, in, in a way that we know that, hey, this is when somebody's busy, this is when somebody's accessible, I think is an interesting revelation, uh, which we don't really do all that well here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that the, the remote working is a, it's a, it's not a fad, it's, it's an installation in the industry. And um, those are those of us in my world in law that are adapting to it are thriving. And those of us, because there's massive demand right now for a whole multitude of reasons in law, inventory of great lawyers is low. So utilizing remote really unlocks geographical limitations. Uh, 
smart firms are figuring that out and firms that aren't adapting are starting to feel the, feel the, the burn a little bit. So um, I think it's really interesting too. My wife works uh, entirely from home full time and the environment, I'm thinking the whole time about the environment that she's set up and maybe trying to like uh, uh, do something different because she just works from our kitchen table. And I think that sometimes that environment becomes very stale for her and unproductive. So um, a lot to think about, but uh, as always, I think just thinking about these things and asking the right questions is, is 90% of the, the work for people like me. So, um, but anyway, great presentation and I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Brett. I love what yeah, he said. You, Remote working isn't a fad. It's an installation in the industry. I yeah. love that. Visiting and touching on that a little is with where he said the, the red, green, yellow, and they operate almost completely digitally. Is yeah. there something we could be doing to help with that workflow? From yeah. a digital perspective, is there an equivalent of red, red, yellow, green in the digital world? I don't know if there is. Right. I mean, you certainly have the option of like working offline, um, or if, if you do use um, some version of of a chat, um, you know, you can say usually you can say like available, not available. Um, I actually, I'm trying to remember. I think this was a um, a 100% digital company, and they their workers were all over the country. And they had a rule where from the top of the hour to 50 minutes after, so like 12 o'clock to 12.50, that was heads down. And then the final 10 minutes of every hour was when they would be, you know, ding each other um, to ask questions. Hey, can I get your feedback? And so they kind of operated in that if you need something from me, that 10 minute window is when you should reach out is when I will be you know, available to you. Um, that's, you know, that might be too much structure for most companies, but to have some, you know, again, it's really, it's almost like, when is your door open and when is your door closed? Like, what are my office hours <laughs> and what are my working hours? Um, so Again, I think it's a it's a conversation in a in a law firm like where Brett works. It's probably more important that, or it's probably most important that, like the litigation team, that they have a cadence, right? Where you know we stick our head in each other's office before nine a.m. When you're leaving for lunch around noon, that's a good time to check in and let's do a quick five minute stand up. You know, at three p.m. Um, and and save your questions, save your um, your feedback for those designated times, if and when possible. Doesn't mean that you can't ever go in and say, "Hey, I need your eyes on this," you know, and it's it's one thirty, but it at least minimizes the continual. Are you free? Do you have a second? Let me, you know, ding you and see if you can, you know, look at this. So sometimes it's just having those, you know, it's kind of like those markers throughout the day that everybody's going to agree to be more available. And then the other times it's, you know, I, the, the assumption is your head's down deep in work and I'm not going to pop in unless I really need to. Good information. I think I also learned from you, Elizabeth, about uh, not checking your email all day long, right? That you have set mm -hmm. times when you're being intentional mm -hmm. about that. Um, I know as a mom, one of the things that I fall in the bad habit of is checking my emails at all hours of the day. If I'm up in the middle of the night, it's like, a well, I want to get it off my to-dos. Not, I'm not trying to be the amazing worker who works around the clock. I'm trying to get it out of my head, but I have to be very intentional, right? About saying like, mm -hmm. that's not really good 
for me and my mental right. health, but it's right. also not really an expectation that I want to set with people either. Right. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, Alex, I'm not trying to answer all your emails at two in the morning. You know, it's, yeah. it's really, it's, it's setting that expectation for both me and people that I work with and clients and that kind of stuff. So yes. I think that's smart. Yes. Yeah. So I have a question I'd like to ask. The yeah. Go ahead, Paul. Well, that, no, I, I don't want to. I'm going to change the the conversation. Did you, Brett? You want to make a comment before I move to the new conversation? One cent, and that I'll add to what Melanie just said. When you when you're continually accessible at all hours of the day, especially when you're in a consultative industry like all of us are, it dilutes dramatically the value of your communications as well. So not only are you like, it's, it's not only is it a uh, a problem in terms of how you're setting expectations with clients. It also uh, inadvertently, by making yourself too accessible, it dilutes all of the value of what you're actually providing to the client. Yes. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. There's such a thing as being overly available, 100%. Okay. So I have a question for the group, and that is, do you think that companies have slowed their investment in human resource services for uh, their organization? And I'm thinking of services as coaching, culture development, um, recruiting, um, um, professional development, th those kind of services. Do you think there's a, a slowing in the investment by companies in those services right now? Um, I'll just give, I was on a call yesterday with a leadership team um, for a company that does um, a lot of like benefits management. And a comment was made uh, that, hey, for about the last two years, we have not been doing much programming. So in 2022, we're going to have more than people are used to. Like it's time to, to catch up and make up. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, that's a great example of, I think, a company like that. They're back on the upswing of we've got to get back to providing professional development and training and opportunities. Um, I would think Melanie and Alex, you guys are seeing more of a trend. Yeah, I love I love hearing that feedback, Elizabeth, because I do think that there was a bit of a pullback. Some of that was just panic, you know. And if mm -hmm. from an HR consulting perspective, I think if you can't, if things slow down or you can't pay your employees or whatever happens or you need PPP loans, you're not thinking about how to pay my consultant. Um, yeah. So I think people are kind of regaining, putting things back together. And I'm starting to see an up, uptick in um, even just responses, right? I think people are, they're, they're coming back out from, I don't know if they were hiding under a, <laughs> a rock. I'm not sure. Maybe it was that, that work from home thing. I'm not sure, Elizabeth, right? But yeah. I'm starting to see an uptake in it for sure, where people are starting to kind of re-engage, starting to re reach out. Um, I keep pounding the drum, Paul, that Kind of we're better together right there's plenty of projects just not getting done and if you can get someone to help you with recruitment or someone to help you get organized or someone to help you legally like invest in a strong partner that that really is all of our message you know mm -hmm. that you can't do it all yourself and strong partnerships make you look like a superstar but also help you run your business better um yeah. so i think yeah. that i'm hopeful that that's the case yeah Alex, what do you think i'm yeah. sorry brett go ahead well, uh, no, Alex, go ahead. I was I was going to speak as the consumer in the in the uh, group who actually purchases these services, but I'll but I'll just say briefly that go for it. my take is that there's a it's never been more challenging in my whole career to actually foster not only recruit good talent but foster a serious like connected culture 
and mm -hmm. work on your brand, like team branding, never been more difficult in, in the, the entirety of, the, of my entire career. So we actually are leaning in. Like we, like I said, we're now working with peak productivity. Um, we're leaning into behavioral assessments to try to get more granular on who fits within our culture and who's going to be a really good long-term fit because we just flat out don't have the luxury of making mistakes in this marketplace. So we're really looking at how we invest up front in HR recruitment and culture as a way to fend off future problems down the road. It's only two yeah. cents. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, no, I, I can, that's, that's what I was going to say actually is, is prior to the pandemic, I think there's a handful of companies that have leadership that thinks proactively that they can step up, you know, see the forest of the trees, see the big picture of how investing in your people pays off in dividends in the future, but that was just a handful. I think now a lot of companies are feeling that pain. They're feeling that pressure. They're feeling that push. And a large majority of them are almost like backs against the wall. They're having to, to operate in a different way and reach out for help um, because you know they're not surviving. They don't even have people to get the job done. Right. So it's it's a big challenge. And as human behavior usually dictates, right? Like when a problem's in our face is when we usually address it. So it sounds like we're starting to see a change uh, and a, a push and move back towards um, investing in people. And, uh, and at the same time, people are, are being going back to work or staying at home to work. That, that all fits into the, this picture of things are getting better. I think so. Yeah. yeah, our story, and we're sticking to it. We Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks. To, thanks for the feedback. I've been asking that question of anybody I see. Mm -hmm. uh, what do they think is going on? Yeah. Well, thank you for for being here for contributing. Um, I want to be sensitive to time. I know we may have our next meetings to get to, so I want to offer a huge thanks to Elizabeth for joining us today, and for all of you for joining and, and sharing with us. It's been amazing to continue to learn about productivity and how it impacts companies and organizations and culture. Um, I would highly suggest that you reach out to Elizabeth, make sure you're connected with her on LinkedIn so you can keep learning. Um, I know she'd be happy to help any organization that's uh, out there and needing help and wanting to move things forward. So uh, join us live. We're gonna have these conversations. We have them about every month. I think I've pushed about every six weeks. But love to have people continue to join uh, and we're supporting the Free Store Food Bank and, and making those donations. So uh, this is us signing out, uh, ensuring that we're being intentional about culture. Uh, thank you for joining today uh, and help us to continue because together we thrive. Thank nice meeting you. all Thanks, of you. Melanie. Thank you, Melanie. Thank it was you. fun. Have Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right. Bye. For more information, please check out our website at www.thrivewithmb.com or send me a note at melanie at thrivewithmb.com. Thanks for listening and keep leading with heart because when people matter, companies thrive. <laughs>